For the model train enthusiast, we lord over a world where the neighbors are always kind, the lovers always end up together. Allison, every memory I cherish has you in it. I love you. And the trains always take you to the far off places you always swore you'd go. In life, of course, nothing is nearly as neat and tidy. No, life has a way of always throwing us a curveball when, when we least expect it, right? Yes. So, hello and welcome to another episode of the Forever Fangirls podcast. I'm Sheila Amato, and you can find me and my wife on our website at foreverfangirls.com. And I am Kimberly Amato, and you can find us pretty much on all the socials at Forever Fan Pod. We are your hosts, and we're glad you can join us. And today we're going to be covering the latest Zach Braff movie featuring Florence Pugh and the incomparable... He is God, Morgan Freeman, in A Good Person. Yes, exclusively in theaters currently, as we record this anyway, but hopefully will be on streaming services as well. And as a reminder, spoilers are ahead after the banter. Um, you know, speaking of Morgan Freeman, every time I see him or I think of him, I think of his character Red in Shawshank Redemption or Hoke in Driving Miss Daisy. Both were phenomenal films. He's God. (laughs) Seriously, when I think of Morgan Freeman, yes, I do think of those movies and they are phenomenal films, but I just keep imagining him as the voice of God. (laughs) And I'm sorry, but if I die, I would love the voice of God to sound like Morgan Freeman going, Kimberly, you're welcome. Welcome to heaven. Yeah. You sure you're going to be in heaven? (laughs) Wow. Look, I joke about having lava front property because people think being part of the LGBTQ plus community means I'm automatically going to hell. So, mm. you know, I bought land before it was popular, I guess. Oh. I don't know. All right. Well, but well, I, what, I'm, I would like to go to heaven if there's a heaven. Wherever you go, I go. So you jump, I jump, right? Uh-huh. Something like that. <laughs> anyway. Oh, God, um, I can't believe I just said that. Let's uh, let's go and, um, you know, see how Morgan Freeman does in this film. Okay. So I'm just going to say that, like. The banter music, all that, yay, happy silliness. That's about it for this episode. (laughs) Well, it's a serious film. Yes, it is. It is. So because of that, I'm not going to be doing an accent for the summary. Okay. Allison is a young woman with a wonderful fiance, a blossoming career, and a supportive family and friends. However, her world crumbles in the blink of an eye when she survives an unimaginable tragedy, emerging from recovery with an opioid addiction and unresolved grief. In the following year, she forms an unlikely friendship with her would-be father-in-law that gives her a fighting chance to put her life back together and move forward. And the unimaginable tragedy here is that Allison was headed to New York City, because they're from Jersey, right, um, with her future sister-in-law and her sister-in-law's husband so that Allison can try on wedding dresses. The car crash happens because Allison takes a moment to look at her phone for the maps and she didn't see the construction vehicle until it was too late. Unfortunately, future sister-in-law and sister-in-law's husband are killed, leaving their teenage daughter Ryan to be raised by Grandpa Daniel. Daniel is a former police cop who had a drinking problem and beat his two children when he blacked out. 
Nathan, in particular, um, lost his hearing after one of these especially brutal beatings. So Daniel and Nathan have a rocky father-son relationship. So there's a lot of layers here. But um, before we begin, I have not seen any previous Zach Braff movies. So this is like a blank slate for me. But apparently... You either love his movies or hate his movies. I couldn't tell you either way, but I, I know I've seen Garden State. I think it was called Garden State. It, I think it Maybe is. Maybe the yeah. fact that I don't remember it is the answer. <laughs> I, it's just been a very long time since I've seen anything from Zach right. Braff or starring Zach Braff. Right. Anyway, let us start with the good of the movie, shall we? Morgan Freeman and, and Florence, Florence Pugh. Pugh. Yeah, I mean... Two stars right there. Like, no pun intended or all puns intended. Uh, it's excellent casting. Yes. When he and, and Florence are sitting at the diner or in the basement with the train set, their chemistry yeah. is so rich and so good that, you know, it's a difficult movie. It's mm-hmm. a serious movie, but you feel, I don't know, I don't want to say lighthearted, but there's this energy between them that feels so sincere and so honest that you almost... You have hope. Yeah. They're trying to get past this shared tragedy that they yeah. have. Yeah. And it's it's as if there's this huge amount of hope going on and, and you, you kind of like absorb that. And that's a testament to how they bring it across. Mm-hmm. It's not easy material to work with. No, especially with, you know, the topic of a loss that's like that. You know, Allison, Florence Pugh's character, she had it all and then lost it in a blink of an eye. And denies right? responsibility for it. Denies responsibility I should, well, you for it. You know what? I shouldn't say denies. I she, don't think she's capable of accepting her aspect of responsibility. Well, I, I think it's it, you, what you said initially was right. She's denying her her culpability in this, right? She, she always said it was not her fault. But I believe rem- that has to do with her trauma and her mental state with going through the stages of grief. Absolutely. The grief that she feels, right? She killed her sister-in-law, yeah, her future sister-in-law. For for us, taking a life is, is unimaginable. And something like that, that was preventable. Yeah. If she was not looking at her phone to the maps, then she could have reacted better while she was driving the car. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lesson in that too, but... We're not but I, I think that. that's an that's an excellent theme, though, because it is so often that our brains kind of shut off and we can't go past a certain point because we are stuck with. But we did A, B and C. If we mm-hmm. do A, B and C, everything should have worked out. Right. That also informs her character where she basically is hanging on to this gold Rolex watch that her father left her mm-hmm. because she's still traumatized by the fact that her father left her and her mother to start a brand new family somewhere else in Ohio or something. And doesn't contact her at all. Just no. she woke up one morning and the Rolex, I think she said was in her dollhouse or yeah. something. So, you know, it's like, um, what? <laughs> well, that, that to me, I thought was an excellent image. And I know I'm kind of jumping around the idea of the Rolex. The Rolex is the shiny goal, right? Mm. That is what you envision your life to be. Even she on the bed with, um, with Nathan is like discussing, oh, well, my job is just temporary and I'm going to be going to the next job. And she's Mm -hmm. a pharmaceutical rep. And she's Mm -hmm. like, it's no harm. I'm only selling this drug. Yeah. But the idea is she said it, it was no harm in what she was doing. It's a stepping stone to where she wants to be the shiny Rolex. Mm -hmm. But yet the shiny Rolex is trapped in a house. It's in the dollhouse. It's locked by walls. It's locked by grief. It's locked by trauma. It's locked by everything. Yep. 
And yes, she is basically taking that Rolex out of the house, but she's trapped her trauma of her past, the trauma of the decision she's made, and everything is now tying her down on the wrist like a cuff. Yeah, it's the only thing that she wears consistently Mm -hmm. throughout the film. But it's where everything starts for her. And when she Mm -hmm. finally gets help is when she kind of takes the cuff off. Yeah. I got the vibe that as she went through this trauma, that Rolex was constantly on her and was constantly the pinnacle of being held to expectations and being held to a past ideal that she could no longer fulfill. And when she finally hit rock bottom, she realized she needed to let go of it and do things her way. Because even in the beginning where she said, I want to go somewhere to get help, because ironically enough, she gets stuck on a drug that is very addictive that pharmaceutical reps sell. Mm -hmm. She wanted help. Her mother says, we have no insurance. How are we going to pay for this? Right. She was not willing to let that go yet and looking for help outside. Exactly. And it was a great way to say that she still hadn't processed what she was dealing with to break out of her dollhouse, Mm -hmm. to break away from her cuff, her restriction. Yeah. Going back to using the drugs as her as her escape almost because of that cognitive dissonance that she has like no it, you know it was someone else's fault i just happened to be in the car with them yeah but subconsciously she knew what she did and so in order for her to just function every day she's using the oxycontin to numb the pain because it's it's the only thing that made her feel feel numb enough to do anything even getting out of bed was just hard for her yeah and it's very interesting because we we are still dealing with opioid crisis and everything else that's why i said this movie is very hard Mm -hmm. it really does highlight how easy it is to get this medication. Yeah. But it was heartbreaking to then watch her have to admit to people she picked on in school that she's a junkie. Yeah. She did not want to admit to herself that she was. No. And that, you know, she she exhibited behavior then that, it, you know, is just, I'm contacting an old friend who I haven't talked to in forever so that they can spot me, you know. And then her mother enables her. Yeah. Because, I, and again, you know, I don't know if this is guilt or pain from the mother trying to enable her daughter because of you know the father leaving. I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many factors that go into that, but seeing your child in pain, I can't imagine. Yeah. I really can't imagine. And I don't want to put words there. It just, it was so heartbreaking Yeah. that, Al- that Allison comes in and goes, okay, I'm ready. And the mother has the pills waiting. Right. She was ready to take the step forward and then she got pulled 10 steps back. And then to just the flip side of what you were just saying, right? The situation between Nathan and his father, Daniel, where it's the father causing pain to the child, Mm -hmm. right? Because he had an alcohol drinking problem. Which was from his father. From his father. And, you know, he blacks out and then beats his children to the point of where... Nathan lost hearing in one of his ears. Yeah. So, you know, that that anger from Nathan's side, you know, not being able to forgive his father for that and, you know, causing this rift between them. So it's, it, yeah, it's just... And then you continue with Ryan being angry her parents are dead, rebelling at school, mm-hmm. you know, quitting soccer, trying, you know, having intercourse with an older boy or yeah. at least... I, they, it seemed like it appears old, yeah. that that or they, they're about to because he does leave with his undergarments on. Yeah. It just shows that trauma is pervasive 
Mm-hmm. It ripples. I don't want to say, well, I can pinpoint this one moment in time because trauma itself is, I guess, maybe the tip of the iceberg. I don't know. I think for everybody, it's very different. And that this film showcases that it's different for Nathan. It's different for Ryan. It's different for Allison's mother. It's different for Allison. It's different for Daniel. Everybody goes through it very differently and responds to it differently. And it's not that you can just pinpoint this specific moment at this specific time is the reason you're this. And the movie does an excellent job on displaying that trauma is like this parasitic animal. You know, the minute you might take care of one aspect, it might have infected something else. Right. And it also shows how different people will cope differently with the trauma, right? Yeah. For Allison, right now, it's it's drugs. For Daniel, it's actually that massive model train thing that he has in his basement where as the trailer says, he, he lords over you know, his, his creation. And anything and everything that happens in there, he controls. And the melancholy thing for me in there, when he said the line, you know, there's my father meeting me at the train station when I came back from Vietnam. And in reality, his father was drunk, passed out at home. And then when he got there, they had breakfast and his father gave him his first beer and he never stopped. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just that that tragic story that if the father was just different and had made different choices, you know, it could have changed the course of history. It also is, it's interesting because he's created this parallel universe of what he could control mm-hmm. because we all need to have something we control. Mm-hmm. It's It's how we cope just in life in general. But it also can be very dangerous because when, like with Daniel, he uses that as his outlet, Mm -hmm. right? And he meticulously paints each model and then does things. And that's how he processes. However, I could also see if it went too far and it became a complete obsession where he never left the basement. Yeah, but he doesn't. But he is, there's the extreme is what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. And the thing that this film does very well is it shows there has to be a balance yeah you have to have your coping skills you have to have your help to get through and you have to have the understanding that there's all the stuff outside the door you're not gonna be able to process that's possibly going to trigger you that you cannot control yeah and the film does an excellent job of weaving all three together in a way that comes to a sad but satisfying conclusion yeah that actually leads me to my point of, you know, the, the biggest theme for me is that forgetting is very hard to do, right? Time will mute things and, and make it a little duller so that the pain is not as sharp. But really, the, the only way to move forward is to forgive. And you have to, you have to make that decision to forgive so that you can start to heal. I agree with you to a point. I think... Some people can just forget and they cut that section of their life shut and that's it. Mm -hmm. And they move on and that's their coping skills. I agree with you that I believe forgiveness is what sets you free. I don't want to say forgiveness is easy. It's not. But sometimes you just have to forgive someone or say you forgive them, even if You never speak to them again. You never acknowledge them again. I don't say, you know, forgive them and then go back as if nothing happened. But you need to let it go in some capacity like that. I will be honest and say I struggle with that. I struggle with forgiving people who've hurt me. 
And, or hurt my family. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree because that's how what you mentioned earlier where the coping mechanism is to just cut people off. Mm-hmm. That's what I used to do when I was younger. It's easier. It's for easier. me. It is absolutely easier, and that's why I did it. But forgiving someone is a decision that you make. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a feeling that, all right, you know, I'll just forgive someone. But to to actually forgive someone, like you said, you have to make that decision to forgive that person. And that's the scene where Allison is going to the AA meeting, right? And Daniel is there. Instead of Daniel saying, okay, you know what, this is the person that's causing me a lot of pain, he reached out. Yeah, and and that's the, you know, the the metaphorical gesture olive of branch. the olive branch. He he extended his hand to bring Allison in to help her because he recognized the pain and the struggle that she's going through because he went through it himself. But here's a question for you. You you have in the notes here that Allison finally accepted her role in the accident only after Daniel forced her to face the harsh, harsh truth, which I agree with. It was the, he Where, was, he was hitting rock bottom too. Right. She hit rock bottom at the same moment because of Ryan was at a party. Ryan had been drugged and the same boy we saw earlier was trying to, I guess, finish what he started with Ryan, mm-hmm. even though she was in no way, shape or form capable of, of consent. And yep. Allison was high. Mm-hmm. And this was all because Ryan thought she was doing the right thing by setting Nathan up with Allison, even though Nathan had a girlfriend. Yeah. And that's a very triggering situation Absolutely. for Allison. Allison was the one who left Nathan, right? Nathan yes. actually stayed by her side, but because Allison couldn't handle what happened during the accident, everything else, she was like, no, I'm, I'm done. I am just closing myself off. But so, the, the reason I bring this up is because in the notes you say that's when she decides to sell her watch, get the money and whatnot. And I, I think that's the beginning of her allowing herself to forgive herself. Mm-hmm. But I pose a question to you. Do you believe when she sold that watch, she was either just forgetting and cutting off her father or forgiving and letting go of her father? I think she was forgiving her father, but I think she was also forgiving herself because she probably thought that she was the cause of him leaving. Right. Well, she yeah. knows. She says earlier, if I remember correctly, that she doesn't know what happened. She just knows one day she woke up and there was the watch in the dollhouse and he was gone. Right. But without a reason, you fill that void with with answers, right or wrong. Okay. So you know, that whole thing, she's she's also forgiving herself for le- for you know hanging on to it for for all this time. Right. She was a little girl when that happened. So I think it's it's really the metaphorical, okay, I'm just letting go of it, getting what I can out of it so that I can better myself. And I took it as she was cutting him off. She was realizing that holding on to her father was basically cuffing her and holding her in place. Mm. And so she needed to cut him off and cut him out. And just move on from him. She's never going to get an answer. She's never going to understand or get a satisfactory reason. Yeah, because there might not be ha- one. Exactly. And, and no matter how much she hears or processes, I don't think it would ever come to a happy conclusion. So I think in my mind, she just cut him off. And that's why she took the watch off yeah. and got rid of it. And I like the fact that, you know, it, it was her decision to do that. Right? Yeah. She made... Okay, again, she made the decision to forgive and move on. And she made the decision to, I want to really get better. 
and only I can do this for me. Yes, people can help you, but you have to make the decision to actually get better. She needed to hit rock bottom, I like you said. I think having a relationship with Ryan, which she, I believe, started to appreciate because in a way, Ryan was an avenue for her to, in her mind, fix it. Mm. And to put Ryan in danger when she didn't mean to, realizing that what she had become was hurting those around her, I think was the wake-up call. I think Daniel then saying, stay away from Ryan, I want my daughter back. You took my daughter from me. It was, you know, kind of Daniel but, uh, being very black and white about it and, and expressing his pain. But I think the real bottom were for her was when he said, stay away from Ryan. Because for her, again, Ryan was the fix-it and she was developing a good relationship with Ryan. And Ryan was starting to trust her and talking to her because Ryan had no friends. Ryan was struggling. And Ryan finally had someone to talk to. And who she understood the situation. Yeah. And then she, as Allison, realized she let down someone that was leaning on her and how could she help them without helping herself? I think that was the trigger. At least that's how I viewed it. Yeah. And for me, the way I viewed it was that it was Daniel who actually finally confronted her with the truth, right? Because it was that, it was that truth. Truth will set you free. The, the truth of that cognitive dissonance that she's been experiencing this whole year was that she was the cause of it. And when Daniel said, you know, at whatever time you looked at your phone, he memorized the, the reports, right? You looked at your phone, and then two seconds later, the accident happened. It was you who caused the accident. But other people have been saying that that whole time. But I, I'm, I'm understanding your point, but I'm, I'm countering with other people said that that whole time. I don't think it was necessarily just Daniel for me, because when I look at it, I see Ryan said that to her earlier in the film. Yes, she's in cognitive dissonance. But my point is, what got her to the point where that line sunk in? And for me, it was seeing Ryan drugged and, and almost sexually assaulted that got her to that point because mm. she went to that party with Ryan. She could have told Ryan, let's go back to the concert. Let's she just go enabled home. Ryan. Allison enabled Ryan because Allison wanted a fix. Because of her behavior, someone else was getting hurt. So it wasn't just about the original car accident. It was also this. And I think that at her lowest then allowed Daniel's statement to come in. Mm. So anyway, are there any other points? I'm just going to go into a, a thing that was hard for me. Mm. The Ryan scene. That's a very difficult scene for me. Yeah. And thankfully in that scene, nothing happened to her. But yeah, the the... The whole situation. Yeah, the vulnerability, the, the attempted assault. The film is hard, and that, to me, was a step further than I could handle. But, like I said, at least, you know, the there were people there who resolved it, and I held your hand during the scene. I know it was necessary to show the downfall, but to see someone be put in that position and know what's happening in the world today with women... It's, it even makes it a harder thing to watch. So I wouldn't say it's a bad, it's just a reason my, my summary later is, is going to be the way it is because it was a really deeply dark moment. Understood. So do you want to go into your bad? My bad? Well, you have one here with your initials on it. Yeah. 
I think it was just the way the movie started. It was very hard for me to get into the characters. Like five minutes later, the tragedy happened and it's all that, right? It didn't seem like there was a buildup so that I could connect to the characters before the tragedy happened. Maybe that's just me, but it took me a while until maybe it was the second act when I finally got connected to the characters. I don't know if that was the same for you. Honestly, I don't know. Because for me, I took it as life was jovial, life was sunshines and rainbows, and then life was just stopped. Mm. And part of me kind of understood that because this was who they were before and then everything stopped and now we were getting to know them as they currently were mm. i don't know necessarily if that's a good or a bad thing um it could just be a filmmaking choice i do understand how it could have been that way because you really don't know anything about them until after the accident yeah well maybe because the movie is very slow Yes. And maybe because it was so slow that I wasn't able to connect to the characters. And so it just took me a while to get into the film. And I see it as a possible deliberate choice because even Molly Shannon's character, uh, the mother turns around and says, you know, Diane, she's like, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? And, And Allison says, you're looking for your daughter before. This is who I am now. Mm. You know, she's gone. Yeah. And that's how I think they might have tried to do this to show you all the happiness and whatever. So where you think you're going to get to know people where you're not really sure who they are. And then all of a sudden, bam, now you have to get to re-know somebody and understand. And, and you lose people. You, you, when you've gone through something or something happens to you, there you lose are, your identity. It's, you lose your identity, but you also lose everyone around you that helped create your identity. You lose your friends. You lose your work friends. You lose your job. You lose your colleagues. And you somehow have to rebuild yourself when you're still holding on to who you are. Yeah. So maybe it was a conscious effort by the director to show the happiness and the, the jovial side and then just cut it off at the knees. Pull the rug out from under them. And then show you how hard it is to try to rebuild because they had an, a huge room full of people laughing and cheering and saying how cute they were to Allison by and herself. her mom. Yeah. So maybe maybe that was it. I can't, I mean, I'm not going to say, yes, that was their decision, but I could see it in either direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wanted to see this movie because of Florence and Morgan. Yeah. Right? I, I, yeah. They did as not disappoint. I, as soon as I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, we have to see this. Um, but it is a very hard movie to watch. Yeah. Because of the subject matter. I can't stress enough, this film will come with you when you leave. Mm-hmm. In varying ways. And again, maybe that's the point. Yep. And that can be, for a lot of people, a bad. So, any other bad for us on this? No. So, the cute, I had one laugh out loud moment. And we saw this film when it was in limited release. And so, we basically had like a private screening because it was just the two of us in the theater. It was Thursday night and it was the two of us. And yeah. it, it was great because... When this scene came on, I was cackling in the theater and I was like, oh, it's a good thing that it's just us. But this was the scene where Morgan Freeman's uh, character, Daniel, is talking to his granddaughter about the birds and the bees. And his granddaughter is mortified and 
her mortification is only surpassed by the fact that Morgan Freeman's character, really? Because I just love this shit. Just the way he delivered that line yeah. <laughs> with his facial expressions, like, really, this is hard for you? What do you think it is for me? Oh, well, on, on top of that, he then goes and gets an audio book about how to talk to your teen. I think it was a talk to your teen about sex yeah. or something like that. And it's just on talk cassette. To your teen. Yes, I know. It's from the 80s and it's on cassette. <laughs> you know what, though? I have to say that if my grandfather had the voice of Morgan Freeman, I'd just be listening to him all day. I would. I, I would, too. And I, I would probably burst out into laughter when he cursed. <laughs> um, but there was one cute for me, and it was at the very, very end that he had painted Allison on a bike. Oh, I know. It's like he finally... You know, he, he forgave accept- her and accepted yeah. her. And even in the letter that he leaves, he said the best version of his son has always been with her. Right. And said, maybe together you can find a way to happiness. Yeah. And yeah, that was very heartwarming too. Yeah, was, I thought that was adorable. Bittersweet, but yes. Yeah, because he's passed. Yeah. You know, she gets a call that he has died. And she's a year sober at that point. She's singing. And Florence Pugh wrote the song yeah. for this, which is a massive, like, whoa, I had no idea. Yeah, and she plays the piano. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Look at that. So that was definitely an excellent, cute. Yeah. Okay, so anything else? No, I, no? I think I'm good. Okay. Are you good? I am good. So I guess that is our discussion of a good person. You know what I just realized? What? It's good. It's good. It's good. It is good. But Morgan Freeman in Bruce Almighty, it's good. Oh, my goodness. Ay, ay, ay. Sorry. Anyway. Um, all right. Now it's, <laughs> it's time for our Forever Fangirls rating. A drum roll, please. We rate a good person three stars. And we agree on this rating. Yeah, I I wanted to give it more because the performances are stellar. But it is such a hard film to watch mm-hmm. that I know I will not view this again. So the rewatchability is what brought me down. Mm-hmm. It's not for, again, the lack of talent or the message it brings across. It's just that difficult, especially that Ryan scene where she's almost assaulted. That is so hard for me to watch that I know I can't watch it again, even mm-hmm. if it's on TV or streaming. It's just, it's not a film that I can process a second time. Yeah. That being said, I believe it's a good film to watch and should be viewed to gain insight into trauma, addiction, loss, and maybe help people understand a little bit of what others are going through to where maybe they would be more understanding or more patient. It might give some insight. You know, I'm not going to say this is a perfect remedy, but it's it could be a starting point for some people to help their friends. Right. And there's nothing much that I can add to that because I do agree. It's a very hard movie to watch. And you know, I love Florence and Morgan Freeman here. And I'm glad that we watched it mm-hmm. and that we went to see it because it, it does show that life isn't all, you know, pixie dust and rainbows. Yeah. But um, that difficult conversation has now come to an end. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you have seen this film, do you plan on seeing this film? We would love to hear from you on any of our socials. Again, you can go to our website, foreverfangirls.com. You can send us a message or speakpipe.com forward slash foreverfangirlspodcast. As always, please subscribe, follow, like, all of those fun things. And until next time, stay safe, be kind, and remember, time doesn't fix the pain of traumatic events. Forgiveness is the first step to healing and only you have the power to take that decisive first step.